Just a quick heads up, The Holy Hive Show does contain adult language that may not be suitable for sensitive listeners and children. Okay, so Dan, I have to start this episode off with a very controversial question. Okay. What's the best Halloween candy? Oh, Reese's Pumpkin. Reese's Pumpkin? Yeah. I, I like the Reese's Pumpkin. I, I think- like any Reese's that's not, an, I mean, I like a normal Reese's too, mm-hmm. but I love a novelty Reese's. It just seems like it has a bit more bang for the buck yeah. in terms of peanut butter. Yeah, the ratio is different. Yeah. And that's like the, the perfect ratio. I think I was always an Almond Joy kid and I was the weird kid. You were the weird yeah. kid, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I love those. I love those like fruity Tootsie Rolls so much. Not the vanilla one that much. Oh, the, dude, the vanilla the one was just like a bomb inside yeah. of your bag that you just like, yeah. ugh. It's, it's like playing Minesweeper, you know? And those also, avoid that. Those, those, those fruity tootie candies were like, uh, and, and, and this kind of goes with Starburst and like Skittles too, but they were always a risk when you had a really cold Halloween. True. So you'd come home and it'd be like frozen. You got to sit on those for a solid five minutes, warm them up. Do you think that now that medical weed is legal in Utah, that kids are going to be getting $55 edibles in their <laughs> bags this year? Not a bad idea. There's some kids that need to calm down a bit. I know. (laughs) Um, This is the Holy Hive Show, the last show for October. So, you know, we have to go out on a spooky note. So on the back end of the show, we're going to be breaking down our favorite horror movies from the last 50 years, but not before we cover a little news, including a couple uplifting, nice, wholesome, good news stories. Uh, But first, we're going to check in with our Maestro of the Mask. Do you like that nickname? Maestro of the Mask is good. I appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me feel a bit responsible. (laughs) Let's see what's uh, going on with the pandemic in Utah. Dan, take us to the COVID corner. All right. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you have ever heard of the Twitter account, Old Takes Exposed. Mm, but what is it's, that? It's mostly used for, like, sports. Like, let's say in June someone's like, oh, blank team sucks way bad and they're not going to do anything. And then come next year they win the Super Bowl or whatever. That oh. person gets put on old takes exposed. Okay, so they they pull old tweets from yeah. Okay. So last like this didn't week, age well. Yeah, okay. last week I said I haven't dug in really to just the actual numbers because mm-hmm. you know that gets kind of Groundhog Day ish when yeah, we, when, yeah. when we do that. But I will say that they seem to kind of be plateauing a bit. You know, there's some okay. rises and drops here and there, but it does seem we're kind of seem as if we're kind of plateauing. So hopefully we'll be we'll be coming down pretty soon here, but. That may just be wishful thinking. So, And so obviously things are not plateauing and we are not getting better. No. Um, on Friday last week, we had nearly 2,000 cases, which like genuinely shocked me when I saw it. I believe it, the exact number was 1960, which uh, wow. is a year, you know. Yeah. And I guess it's a COVID number too. Like <laughs> I was actually flabbergasted. That's a 400 more than our, our previous record high. Yeah, man. And uh the uh, the hits kept coming, you know, throughout the weekend. We're getting stories about how doctors and hospitals are going to have to start rationing yeah. care. Um, that's something that Greg Ball, the president of uh, the Utah Hospital Association, um, presented to Governor Herbert this week, basically laying out that, look, the people who are not getting better are going to stop getting care. Like if they are old and they are dying, they're going to die. And we're going to have to like serve we have to start younger. prioritizing bodies yeah, because exactly. we're getting so many. Yeah. yeah, we're going to have to start serving the younger people who uh, have a better chance of living. So mm-hmm. it's all very brutal to read, you know. Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty terrifying. And too. that's like that's 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 when like you start to see the true ramifications of people 
mm-hmm. just not taking this seriously is when like ICU start overflowing. Yeah. And I remember back in July, I was like terrified. Maybe June was terrified of Arizona's numbers. Arizona was getting like, you know, 2,700. And I was like, that is absurdly large. Damn. And it's like, oh, we're right there. Yeah. We're, we're, we're less creeping people. up. You know, so Damn, I didn't know Arizona got up to 2,700. That's insane. Yeah. At the peak, I couldn't even tell you what their actual highest number was, but it was pretty high. Um, and we're, we're headed there, you know? Dang. So it's not great COVID corner. It's not a corner you want to be on <laughs> yeah, this no, week. Yeah, no, definitely not. And we won't go too deep on this, but there were some things happening in the communities of Utah pertaining to how residents are handling the pandemic. So first there was the quarantine protest party. Yeah. Protesting the pursuit or the, the, uh, the, uh, um, the, the death of freedom. Yes. It wasn't, it can be confusing. You might think that they're protesting parties, but no, it is a protest party. Yeah. Not a party protest. Not a party protest. Yeah. It's a quarantine protest. Um, so they announced, I think the company's called Utah tonight. Those were the promoters that put on the party and they announced their cancellation this week on Instagram uh, without giving a clear reason to why it was called off. Yeah, they kind of just like cited public pressure without really citing anything. Yeah, they're like, we're just not going to do this. And, and, then, and then they went on this like tirade mm-hmm. about, uh, about freedom and the pursuit of happiness. And it contained like almost no substance to it. Yeah. It was just like buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. Yeah. And then... Um, Tyranny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Oppress. All, all tyranny. And um, yeah, so, you know... We'd like to remind people that might be upset that this got canceled that just because we can't go to like a rave right now doesn't mean we can't be social. We can yeah, still absolutely. find creative ways to be social. I think so. I went to, I uh, did an online cooking class this week. Oh, that sounds like a, delightful. Yeah, this weekend. Uh, Harmon's does these like, they used to do live cooking classes. So, okay. they, so now when they build like new Harmon's facilities or grocery stores, they have like cooking schools built into them. Okay. And so, uh, they'll do cooking classes, but since those got canceled or since they're not doing them live anymore, they started doing them on zoom. And so we, we tuned into one on Saturday and they send you, so like you, they'll send you home with like a kit. Okay. So they're like, here's all the ingredients and everything you need. And it's all measured out. And, and then you're just going to cook gonna, along. Yeah. And then you cook along. Zoom is not a perfect technology yet. And so there are some technical difficulties. Um, I'm sure at some point, uh, we're going to have a zoom for everything. So like zoom for classes, zoom for personal things. Yeah. Um, but, and it was pretty awkward just like, <laughs> cause they're like, you're in there with other tons of other people who yeah. are like learning how to cook and they're all like trying to figure out how to work their, their iPad. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so it's kind of chaos. But once we got so it rolling. Was it, it was less technical and more kind of user issue. Like it was like people not knowing how to set up on you uh, and that sort no, of. Yeah. Yeah. There was like kind of a learning curve. It was like, yeah. here's how you go to gallery mode. You want to focus on <laughs> the, 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 uh. The um, chef's camera, yeah, because the chef had two cameras. They had okay. one on them, and then one, one on like the overhead yeah. on their on their on the stove and stuff. I love it. And then they were like, "Make sure your mute is on <laughs> during yeah. this class." Um, Absolutely, but it was cool because we don't want to burn yourself. Yeah, cooked uh, salmon with chimichurri and had a bottle of wine while we did it too. It was really fun. Hell um, yeah! So look at that. Um, also happening in Utah pertaining to the pandemic, a restaurant in Blanding, Utah. You know where Blanding is? South? South. It is south of where we're currently at. <laughs> it's about 70. You know that road that goes through Moab? Mm-hmm. You keep following that road 70 more miles. Okay. You'll hit Blanding. Um, so a restaurant in Blanding uh, officially banned the use of masks in their dining room. Outside the restaurant, they placed a sign that says, no mask, no gloves. Um, 
the San Juan County Health Department executive, uh, Kirk Benge, called the move saddening <laughs> and says they're looking for a proper course of action. Um, there's no mass mandate in San Juan County, despite the climbing cases um, in the small town. Earlier this year, one lawmaker from Blanding compared the mask mandates to uh, in Utah to Nazi-era Germany. <laughs> oh, that's where this is coming from. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember that? that I guy? do remember yeah, that. Yeah. That dude's from that area. Well, um, all right. Yeah, so, I mean, we can't be surprised at how... You know, what about cases. my freedom? Yeah, to want to wear a mask. Yeah, right. It's amazing. It's 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 funny because all the, the, the it always flips. It's like I have the right to refuse service to anyone. It's like, well, I should be able to come in here if I don't want to wear a mask, and it's nothing means anything anymore. I know. It's silly. Um, all right, let's get on to news. And just like that, millennials have killed another strong American tradition with their avocado toasts and their TikToks. This time, it's the local newspaper. Not really, but... The, when will the atrocities, atrocities <laughs> end? <laughs> Not this year. Um, but really, the uh, Salt Lake Tribune announced this week that starting January 1st, 2021, it will no longer be a daily print newspaper. Instead, they're going to rely on their website as a uh, main as the main distribution platform for breaking news. And instead of a daily newspaper, they will distribute one print edition of the news weekly by mail. This move also ends a 68-year-old deal between the Salt Lake Tribune and the LDS-owned Deseret News that allowed them to collaborate on printing and advertising. Interim editor David Noyce said of The Pivot, While we mourn the loss of our daily print edition, we eagerly embrace the opportunity of bringing an exciting new weekly product to our readers' homes. It will feature the journalism Tribune readers have grown to trust and expect, along with new elements, all packaged in an energized edition. Nice. So, down goes the newspaper. Do you do you have fond memories of getting up early and getting a cup of coffee and reading the local newspaper? No, not particularly. It's yeah. never been a, a you know a big part of my life, other mm. than you know having to deliver it as a, as a child. Yeah. Me too. Um, I also had a paper route when I was younger. That was probably the height of my relationship with the newspaper. Yeah. I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing, having a newspaper route. Like, right. <laughs> it was something that everybody wanted when mm -hmm. when we were younger. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think it is sad. You know, I, I, have a, I have a fondness for just kind of physical media in general, whether that's yeah, yeah, like a, a book. I, I can't – I don't like – I don't love Kindles or audiobooks. Yeah. I really like a tangible – Something Page to hold. turning thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like a, a DVD or a Blu-ray, you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Because, like, I have so many movies, like, on my Xbox and my PlayStation that I'm never going to watch because I don't even know where they are. Like, Yeah, to, or like, you forget that you, like, have them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I do I do think it's sad, but it is kind of expected yeah. that, this, that it would go this way, you know? I mean, it's a, it's kind of got to be a money hog, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and um, I, I think once I actually started reading into news like when i actually started consuming written media um probably later high school or no sorry or later junior high early high school is when i really started to get into like news but by then i was just reading blogs i was yeah. just like already on the internet read and i think even by then like there was some sort of like ksl or you know so like i would just still just get all my all my news media from um from blogs and, and internet sources. And I just like, yeah, by the time I hit that age, I was just, it was already the internet. So I never really had that like relationship. Yeah. I mean, either. I feel like most newspaper sales these days, um, are like arts and crafts related, you know, <laughs> gotta make like some paper mache yeah. or something like that. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Art fodder. Um, 
I think their strategy for keeping their breaking news on their site and having one re- weekly wrap-up print, though, is actually a good idea. Oh, I think so, too. Because, like, the first of all, I mean, just, like, the material costs and stuff like that they're going to save. But, like, um, it, it, it it's so, like, when you, fit, when you look at how breaking news is given to us now, if it's super breaking news, like, if it's life-changing breaking news, we'll get an alert on our phone. Mm-hmm. Like stuff like Amber Alerts or like natural disasters and stuff like that come to our phone (laughs) from like a whole system. Um, But by the time, like honestly, a lot of the time, by the the time they print the news in the printed form, we've already read it on the internet. Yeah. So they're they're already on top of news. Like something will break at 3 p.m. one day and then you have to, like people that read the paper have to wait till the next morning to read about it. So I think that's a really good move. And I also think that, um, like you said about, you know, liking tangible media, mm-hmm. that this new, what, what, what their editor called the, the energized version of the print edition um, could be something that they put a lot of cool work into. And actually it might be a really cool thing to might like. have some really fun design layouts and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could really start playing with that. And honestly, like, I think newspapers like, cause newspapers didn't always used to be these thick, huge tomes like they are. No, Yeah. And, um, I think they've grown because of the advertising. So you need more pages to advertise on. Like every page is real estate. And now that they're cutting that out and they're just focusing on the product, um, I'm sure there's still going to be advertisements in the printed edition, but like, it seems like if there's less of a focus on that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember exactly who it was. I follow a few of their writers on Twitter, but mm-hmm. One of them was kind of going through point by point about what this could mean and what it means to them. Yeah. Um, and the person was saying that, like, the digital advertising and viewership already kind of really, really outweighs the paper. So, I mean, you're not going to be losing much, Mm-mm. you know. I would imagine those people who do only subscribe to the paper. Yeah. They'll probably come online if, like, the news is what's important to them there. For sure. So, Yeah, and I, I subscribe to the digital edition, which I get in an email, and you, like, click through, and there's, like, an archive, and the whole thing is kind of clunky. Reminds me of, like, a like a school website or a library website, how, like, those search engines yeah, are really clunky. almost like an intranet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and they said that along with this thing, they're actually working on a revamp of the website. So I think it's going to be really awesome, this, this change. I look forward to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, buckle your seatbelts, return your trace table to their full upright position, and for God's sake, keep your shoes on because Salt Lake City just got a new airport concourse. Yeah, we did. Concourse B at the new Salt Lake City airport opened this week, adding 21 new gates to the airport being occupied by airlines like Alaska, American, Delta, Frontier, JetBlue, Southwest, and United. All the hits. All Uh, of them. (laughs) This followed the opening of Concourse A West six weeks ago, which was occupied by 25 Delta-operated gates, which included six international gates. The opening of this concourse marks the end of Phase 1 of the development of the new Salt Lake City Airport. Phase 2 of the airport will uh, start with the demolishing of old airport facilities to make room for Concourse A East. And that concourse will add eight more gates with possibility of 15 total gates if, by the time they get it done, growth warrants those gates. Yeah. And that's expected in 2024, so about four years away, which will probably go by in about three months. For know? sure, yeah. We'll make sure to check <laughs> in with that when it comes up. So new co- new new airport is, for the most part, built. Like, they yeah. have another section that they still have to do, but... Um, they're going to be getting rid of the old facilities, and so... I wanted to ask you, do you get super sentimental about like uh, 
the tearing down of familiar spaces, things that you grew up with? It depends on the quality of the familiar space. Uh Um, I think that the old Salt Lake Airport was like dog shit. Yeah. Like it was, (laughs) it looked like a high school. um, Yeah. And it smelled like a high school. Especially that first that first air, the check-in area, right? When you yeah. walk in. Yeah. Like it had like the, uh, the IRS government building floors and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And even the outside was like that cement just with like a bunch of rocks shoved into it. Oh yeah. It um, really did almost like, like every ashtray looks like that. And yeah. that's just what the whole <laughs> wall of the Salt Lake airport looked like. Uh-huh. Um, so no, I'm not, I'm not at all bummed that this is happening. I think that the new airport looks really cool and I'm personally yeah. way excited for the day that I get to yeah. go use it with my uh, TSA pre-check that <laughs> I uh, haven't used in like quite some time like to flaunt the TSA now. pre-check. Well, I mean, I can't use it anywhere else. I may as well I know. shout it out. <laughs> you haven't been able to use it all year. Yeah. Haven't, you've, you've lost your TSA elitist status. I know. Because of COVID. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think uh, everything that I've seen with the new airport looks really cool. Um, and um, I'm sure like the first time that I go out there, because it'll still probably be a while, and I haven't been to the airport since January. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when I when I like drive up, it's going to be like different, and I will feel a little weird. But then I'll get into the new airport and be like, okay, this is way better. This is nice. It's got cool lighting yeah. fixtures. Yeah, I love I love colored lighting, modern art looking stuff. Yeah, I love a good accent lighting. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to check it out. Um, I, I have a super unimportant question to ask about this story. Okay. So if you could nominate an official song for the new Salt Lake City Airport to be played over the loudspeakers every hour on the hour. It's almost like a, a flag, but an mm-hmm. audio version of, of Salt Lake City's flag. Yeah. that's for our airport. What song would you nominate? This is an interesting question, <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> doesn't the, matter at all. But I feel <laughs> like the my initial like idea is to just go like straight flight references, you know. That's, so like yeah. <laughs> leaving on a jet plane by John Denver or something. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought about "Cut to a Feeling" by Carly Rae Jepsen, which has some flight-based lyrics. Um, <laughs> that's a good song. That's a great song. Yeah. And it makes me feel like I'm flying. <laughs> but ultimately, I just feel like I just feel like the airport is such a stressful place for most people. Everyone's rushing around. They're trying yeah. to get to their gate on time. They're trying to uh, make sure their babies don't have too much peanut butter on their face mm-hmm. and all of that sort of stuff. So, like, I thought a calming song would probably be better. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Ave Maria. Oh, nice. <laughs> something nice and yeah. something pretty, mm-hmm. calming. Exactly. I like know? it. I see. I went the opposite direction. I did go, I did go with the uh, flight based pun songs, Okay, but I, I just went for songs that would madden people. <laughs> like okay. if you're stuck on a four hour layover, you have to hear this song four times. <laughs> um, so three choices that I came up with were, uh, higher by Creed. Great. That. Imagine hearing that on a four-hour layover. Boy, would I love to. (laughs) Fly Away by Lenny Kravitz. Okay. Um, I think this is my personal favorite. I'm Like a Bird by Nelly Furtado. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we should just make an airport playlist, and then (laughs) it's just all these songs, and someone can recognize a pattern. They're like, is this the third song that's mentioned flying? That's that's fair. (laughs) I I think out of your list, I would would probably prefer uh, Fly Away. By Lenny, Lenny Kravitz. Kravitz. That's what I would pick from yours. Yeah. yeah, it's a jam. That's a good song. I think the first time you hear Fly Away, you'd be like, oh, man, I haven't heard this in, you know, since Saved by the Bell was on. And then, like, the third time you heard it, be like, are they playing this song over and over again? Can we please <laughs> stop it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so this story, this next story involves someone from Utah, but Hell didn't yeah. take place in Utah. It's a regional story. 
Um, so uh, a man from Syracuse is being charged with uh, robbing a grave in Yellowstone. Hell yeah. Already, you, you have my attention. I am, yeah, I am in. And as soon as I started looking into the story, I, I went down a rabbit hole. Like, I was like, oh, this is just going to be a funny story about a guy looking for treasure. And then, like, I had no idea what I was getting into with the story. So it starts with 52-year-old Roderick Dow Craythorn. Great name, by the way. Great name. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great name. Roderick Dow Craythorn of Syracuse, Utah, who was caught digging around the Fort Yellowstone Army Cemetery in northeast Wyoming. And he was looking for something called the Forest Fen Treasure. So... um, to follow up on that story, Craythorn uh, pleaded not guilty to the charges of excavating or trafficking in archaeological resources and injury or depredation uh, to U.S. property. A charge that alleges over $1,000 in property damage. He's going to go stand, stand trial in December, yada, yada, yada. That's not important. What's important is this treasure's real. <laughs> yeah. This is a real treasure. It is a real treasure, it seems. And, like, when you hear about, the, you, know, you hear about the, like, D.B. Cooper, the, that treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's like a, it's like a bag full of cash. Is he like robbed a bank or something like that? Like all these things always have like this myth to them. Um, and I never take them seriously, but then I found out that this is actually real. So, okay. So the forest fen treasure is a real treasure that was buried somewhere in the, the, the original clue was North of Santa Fe, but people quickly thought it was like in the Rocky mountains. Yeah. Somewhere between Utah and Montana. Um, so forest fen was a pilot. He was a dude, a pilot in the United States Air Force. Um, he got the uh, rank of major. He, award, he was awarded the Silver Star, and he flew over 328 combat missions in Vietnam. Already kind of an interesting dude. Yep. So retires, starts an art gallery in New Mexico with his wife, um, and uh, the art gallery did well, and he ended up becoming kind of a wealthy guy. And he said that the, he, he reported that the, the art gallery grossed about $6 million a year. Wow. So – in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer, forced fed. Um, and it was a terminal prognosis, and this inspired him to hide a treasure chest in an outdoor location with the purpose of creating this public scavenger hunt for it. Um, and he ended up recovering from the illness in 2010. So there was quite a bit of time that passed since he started kind of hinting at this treasure hunt. Um, and then he released a memoir called The Thrill of the Chase, and it was a collection of short stories from his life. Um, and he described in this memoir the treasure that he had hidden um, and that it contained gold nuggets, rare coins, jewelry, and gemstones. Um, and, he, and he wrote in his book that it was hidden in the mountains somewhere north of Santa Fe. Um, so he also said that kind of hidden in codes in these short stories were clues as to where it was. And this apparently became kind of the, like this internet thing mm-hmm. that people got really uh, into. Um, so this starts popping off and people start looking for it. Now, since he announced this and people really started getting into it, um, five people have died <laughs> looking, wow. looking for the forest venture. Wow. Um, we don't have to go through all the, all the deaths, but people have fallen into canyons and fallen into rivers. Um, a dude was arrested rappelling into the grand Canyon of Yellowstone. Um, and so he was arrested charged kicked out of the park for five years and while he was in court he still even 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 though forrest finn had written you don't need to do any climbing to find this treasure he was like i still think it was down there um so it just kind of attracted all these kind of kooky characters so like five people ended up dying looking for this treasure and there was countless other um charges just like this one where people were desecrating all these like cemeteries and stuff and trespassing and all that 
Um, so this guy, Rod- Roderick Dow Craythorn of Syracuse, Utah, um, this little incident happened between October and May of this year. And he's just going to all the, all the court proceedings are happening this week. Um, so since he got caught looking for it, the treasure was found. Oh no. So someone found the treasure in June and it's kind of like a lotto winner hidden identity thing yeah. where he was kind of like not I talking about it, but he, he communicated with Forrest Fenn and he was like, yep, the treasure has been found all that it's over. Don't worry about it. Um, and then Forrest Fenn died in September. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so it's just That's a fucking whole, crazy story. Whole crazy story about this actually actual real treasure. Um another great name, Forrest Fenn. Yeah, that is a great name. Um but man, I just as soon as I looked into that, I was like, holy shit. I've like never heard of a story like that. But pretty good. I'm sure there's gonna be a movie about it. I think there's already a documentary about Probably. it. Probably. But it was before the treasure was found, so just wait. Yeah. So now we gotta make the complete documentary of the Forrest Fenn treasure. Um Yeah, anyway, crazy story. Does that sound like, do you, if you would have caught on to this at the right time, do you think that would be like something that you would look for? Would you ever go on a treasure hunt? No. I mean, maybe <laughs> I would probably go on a treasure. I don't, I don't, I would have to get really into that and f- find all the clues and stuff. Before yeah. It's more I about ever, the puzzles. Yeah. I enjoy yeah. puzzles. I enjoyed like when I was younger, I really liked doing the geocaching thing where you'd get like oh, yeah. GPS <laughs> coordinates and go look for just kind of like a little Tupperware thing full of trinkets. Um, yeah, that's that, a, that's that easy though. So fun because the clue is just like here it is. That don't like hey, coordinates. Man, I've had some really <laughs> hard times geocaching, but I don't know. Probably I probably not. I probably wouldn't. You know, be uh, be uh, treasure hunting, especially in a cemetery. That's you're just asking to be cursed. That, how much money would it take for you to dig up a body <laughs> for treasure? Well, do I have permission from the person's family? Sure. Then not that much money. No, if they you, were like, feel okay if the it. family was like, yeah, you could dig up that body to look for the treasure. I'd be like, okay. Cool. I mean, you're really probably just like digging, opening, and it's probably just bones at that point, right? Yeah, I was gonna say it would it would have to depend on the corpse that I was <laughs> digging fair. up. Is if, it a fresh yeah, corpse? Yeah, yeah. If it's a fresh corpse, I don't. I probably wouldn't yeah. feel comfortable with it. No. <laughs> if it was like a 200 year old corpse, I'd be like, yeah, it's gonna be cool. It's Let's gonna be like a roll. skeleton. Yeah, and it's gonna be like this old timey coffin, you know. Um, yeah, I think I would go cheaper for the older the body. Um, and, you know, if, if you're digging up a 200-year-old body, like, the only people that are going to be sad are, like, archaeologists. For sure. <laughs> um, and nobody cares about archaeologists' feelings. So this is a wonderful story out of Salt Lake. And it starts with a woman named Molly Corman. Molly had an obsession with uh, perfecting her baking recipes, mainly brownies. Um, and she had trained with a former White House pastry chef and um, attended the Park, Col- Park City Culinary Institute. And even with her passion uh, for and expertise in baking, she spent most of her time doing social work and aiding in suicide prevention. And after a while, she decided to take her passion to the next level and open Brownies, Brownies, Brownies. Great which, name. Yeah, That's right? a top five restaurant name. No one pulls into that going, I wonder what they sell here. Exactly. <laughs> Have Brand you ever, recognition you is key. No, I drive by it all the time and I've never been. Yeah. I, I, I have too. Yeah, that's how you know it's good advertising too. Like a good, a good or a good branding is yeah. like. I, I remember driving past that place, but I've never gone in. Being like, oh, brownies, 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 cool. <laughs> so uh, she opened up brownies, brownies, brownies in Salt Lake, and uh, fast forward two years later to this week, she was awarded Entrep- Entrepreneur of the Year by the Women's Business Center of Utah, 
And she caught the eye, Molly caught the eye of the Women's Business Center of Utah this year with her efforts to keep small business and social causes alive during the pandemic. And uh, this year, Molly has organized a food truck roundup in June uh, that showcased Black-owned business owners, including a free pop-up market for small businesses, uh, with a portion of her brownie sales going to Curly Me, a nonprofit that supports and empowers girls of color. Uh, and then the following week, she hosted a similar fundraiser for suicide prevention, uh, suicide prevention with the Utah Pride Center. So, uh, well-deserved award, Molly. And, yeah, uh, go, great job, Molly. Go support Brownies, Brownies, Brownies. I'm going to have to go over to Brownies, Brownies, yeah. Brownies, because I go, love Brownies. I'm going to go check it out. I know that they have some, like, take-home kits, too, if that's what oh, you're really? into. Yeah, where you can take home, take take bake? home the recipes and bake it yourself. Oh, yeah. nice. See, and this is I, – I love, I love a story like this because this is – like one of the things, I mean, if you can say you love something about the pandemic, one of the things that I, I've loved about reactions to the pandemic is like business people making pivots and making adjustments and adapting instead of complaining about yeah, you, things. You get to see who's smart and who's kind of <laughs> yeah. stuck in, in yeah. whatever who's way Who's innovative business. and who's yeah. not. And, and, and hardship always forces innovation. And we can see that in throughout history. And every time I hear people talk about, you know, Oh, everything's so hard now and everything sucks because of the pandemic and all this stuff. It's like, we can make adjustments. Yeah. Like we just can't do what we did before. We have to pivot and we have to figure out what the adjustment is. And a lot of businesses in Utah have been doing that. And a lot of other businesses have just kind of been complaining and, you know, like, uh, there's, there's been bars who have found ways to serve Utahns given the circumstances. And then there have been bars that are like, we're just going to open, any way we can, and let's hope that no one monitors how, what our dining room yeah, is actually doing exactly. and stuff like that. And so um, I applaud all the people. And not only that, but, like, she went to the next level to where she's like, I'm pivoting my business to to still be able to serve brownies to people during the pandemic, but also I'm going to try to, like, prop up other businesses. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to donate some of my, my funds to them. And I can't imagine, I mean, like, I don't want to speak for her, but, like, I can't imagine that's, like, the most profitable business, like yeah. just selling brownies. So mm -hmm. like, you know, it, this isn't like a Zion's bank or a pharmaceutical company, like giving money to companies, you know, to help them yeah. out. It's like a, this is a true small business helping yeah. out other small businesses. And that's Legit. wonderful. Like you, the, the operation has like been kind of whittled down to this one woman. Yeah. Like it, it is a small business. So uh, congratulations to Molly and go, go support brownies, brownies, brownies. All right, let's move on to our feature for the week. So, it's Halloween time. You been watching horror movies this month? Yeah, I'm really honestly exhausted by it. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then we can we can kill horror movies after we talk about it in this. But no, we, I'm excited for this conversation. That's yeah, not what I'm I am at. too. I am too. Um, you just burnt out on horror as a as like, a. Uh, I want structure. Really, really happy. You know, yeah. like I'm so sick of being stressed in bed. Yeah, ten thirty p.m. watching the descent. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we decided uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about horror movies today, and the way we decided to frame this was we're gonna we're gonna observe the last fifty years of horror movies. So uh, we've each made a list of five uh, movie picks that we like, and each and we had to pick one from each decade. So starting with the seventies and going into the two thousand tens, we have our favorite. Maybe not favorite, but a, a good horror recommendation. Yeah, a nice um, notable pick. Yeah, a nice notable pick from There's from an art to each. list making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is more of a, a suggestion. Like, if you need some horror movies to watch this week, check out this list. Exactly. All right. So, um, 
let's start. Actually, first, I, w- I wanted to ask this question. Okay. Because um, I was thinking about it as I was prepping this. Where, where did your relationship with horror movies begin? Because it's not something you're kind of like born into, like Disney movies. Like you're just shown sure. up. You have to develop your own relationship with it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, you know, spoil my own list. But, you know, there are a couple of movies that I saw when I was younger that I shouldn't have seen at that age. And uh, that's like really where it started. I just loved being scared despite what like my nightlight mm-hmm. and prayer habits would have told you, you know? Yeah. Like I enjoy <laughs> being scared even if I hate it afterwards for five weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, I just remember especially junior high is when it like it really, really took <clears> off. <throat> but even before then, I just enjoyed I enjoyed a good horror movie, you know? Yeah. The 31 yeah. Nights of Terror on AMC was... Oh, yeah. It was instrumental in, oh, in my upbringing, especially because, like, it would always, there was always, like, that UEA weekend where you'd get school off for the week. Yes. And there was always so many. They were going to show Halloween on. 4 eight times exactly. during the weekend. Yeah, yeah. dude. I miss, like, AMC, like, Horror Nights was the, was the best. And, uh, Back in time, we just didn't care about commercials. You're like, yeah, yeah. the commercials. And they were, like, so heavily edited, but it was still awesome to watch. Um, yeah, I was kind of the same way. Actually, I, re- I had a weird traumatizing experience growing up where um, when I was, like, probably five or six, I remember, like, my brother's older, like, friends making me watch Child's Play when I was, like, way too young. And yeah. it scared the living shit out of me, like, nightmares and everything. And then I had a babysitter do the same thing like two years later. I think I might have mentioned that like I was af- afraid of that movie and she like put it on because she thought it would be funny. Like she tortured me. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I hated horror movies from when I was a little kid. I had like this trauma. And then uh, me and a buddy, probably about the beginning of junior high, uh, it, was, it was a time where we were going to Blockbuster every single weekend. And... Um, the trips to Blockbuster is something that I really miss. Oh, like going for sure. In a, br- just, a good like, browse, uh, you know? Browsing for like 40 minutes. Um, and the horror movie section was always awesome because they had these really creepy covers and stuff like that. And so 100%. We and we never, we'd always like rent games or some funny movie, but like together, him and I were like, maybe we could check out some horror movies. Like, should yeah. we do this? Let's do it. And then I remember his mom was, was with us and we were like, we want to get a horror movie. She's like, well, let me know what you're going to get first, and I'll let you know if you can watch it. And there was, like, a couple where she's like, ah, you should, probably shouldn't watch that. No, don't watch that. And then we got the original Halloween. And she was like, you know what? That probably would be okay. And, like, we got home and put that movie on, and, like, dude, it, like, rocked us. It yeah. scared the shit out it of us. It wasn't quite okay. Oh, uh, dude, it was not quite okay. <laughs> but afterwards, like, we stayed up all night, and we were just like, that was horrifying. And then the next day, we were like, let's watch it again. Yeah. And we watched it again, and then that's where it kicked off. And then got more and more and then eventually I saw Child's Play again yeah. like shortly after I was like okay this is this is a funny movie. I think it's the most like it's the most reaction you can get in a viewing experience is from a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like a comedy can make you laugh for sure and yeah. and you know mm-hmm. um, dramas can make you cry and all of that yep. but like an actual scary movie will do things to you that like nothing else can really do. It's mm-hmm. very strange. And it's also very specific to certain people because obviously people have like different trauma mm-hmm. that they're dealing with and different experiences that these types of things feed on. And so what might be disturbing to one person is like not scary at all to another. So it's like also very personal too, but also 
as far as what we were saying about reaction too, I guess that's why like a lot of like why horror and comedy blend so well together. Yeah. Because like once you get scared, your kind of natural reaction after calming down is to laugh. Um, and so those two just kind of like go really well together, but, um, let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. Let's start with the 1970s. What do you got? I just, uh, pick, I picked Halloween. <laughs> you went with Halloween. <laughs> like in terms of like, uh, trying to make a, a good list. I feel yeah. like this is a kind of the most basic pick you could make. This is like okay. saying Turkey is your favorite. Thanksgiving protein. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, you know, I mean, it kind of just catapulted the slasher genre, which is something I'm a big fan of. I just yeah. love like kind of mm-hmm. nebulous uh, killer chasing random people around and killing them. That's a yeah, fun, yeah. that's a shun, fun genre. It kind of invented me. all of the, the, the tropes too. Like yeah. the, uh, the, he never dies. He walks slow. The, the, uh, Teenagers are always drinking and having sex. Yeah. It like created the movie sin thing For that's sure. like so heavily dissected in like Scream, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, I just feel like it's just one of the most iconic movies, horror or otherwise, you know, the mm-hmm. the the piano score and, and the butcher knife and the, the uh, you know, yeah. the, the mask. It's all just jumpsuit. Every, every all, part of it is iconic. Yeah, that, absolutely. The, the score... The, uh, the, yeah, the, the mask, which originally, I'm sure like a ton of people know this, yeah. but like it was originally like a, like a Captain Kirk mask mm-hmm. that they spray painted white. Like this whole thing was a budget movie yeah and they like knocked it out of the park. And, um, and again, like the director scored the movie himself, yes which I mean, something should be said about John Carpenter as a composer because he really is awesome. He's got some really, really yeah. great stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think it did kind of for, it did, it brought horror to the suburbs in like the same way that that psycho brought horror to just like the everyday person, yeah. you know, like yeah. before psycho, it's like, you've got, Oh, that's just kind of like, that's not me. It's like gothic you know horror. I mean? It's like, yeah. Oh yeah, of course that guy is fighting a vampire. He went looking for vampires. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but like, then you get into these, these more modern movies at the uh-huh. time, at least in the, they're just, they've got this malicious and kind of like this could happen to you sort of terror to them. Yeah. I think that's a, I mean, it's, it's the best. Yeah. What, what else is there to say? Um, and also, yeah, just like in every year, like have to hit, hit it at least once. You got to hit Halloween at least once. Um, okay. So my 1970s pick, um, is a movie. I, 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 I this is my first zag. Um, is it's a movie called don't look now. Have you seen Don't Look Now? I've not seen Don't Look Now. I don't think I've heard of Don't Look Now. <clears throat> don't Look Now is a banger. Um, I actually found this out when I was doing a little research on the movie that it was written by uh, Daphne de Marnier, okay. who wrote Rebecca, which was like oh, turned into an Alfred right. Hitchcock thing. So she was kind of like this gothic writer. And I'm not sure how different it is from the book. The book seems to take, or sorry, the book, I don't know how different the book is from the movie. The movie takes place in about the same time that it came out, which is like the 70s. Yeah. Um, and Daphne de Monnier was a writer in like the twenties. So like, or a long time ago. Um, but the movie, uh, has, uh, Donald Sutherland in it. Kiefer's dad. Yep. Um, and he, him and his wife, uh, are kind of mourning the, the loss of their daughter who drowned. So that's what the movie kind of opens with. It's like the drowning of their daughter and they're kind of, it's like a little time has gone by and they're kind of recovering and they live in Venice now. And while they're living in Venice, Donald Sutherland starts seeing his daughter. Like she died in this red raincoat and she yeah. sees, he sees his red raincoat in crowds and stuff. And he starts having these like weird premonitions and hallucinations. And while that's going on, his wife is like having a mental breakdown and 
while that's going on, the police are talking about there's the serial killer on the loose, and it turns into this like weird noir thing where he's like stumbling around Venice, um, trying to figure out who's wearing this red jacket and trying to keep tabs on his wife and trying to stay out of danger. And it's like the slow burn, which I like a really slow burn. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I think a lot of horror movies rely on the shock value for sure. Especially when you get into like the two thousands, like it's all shock and gore and stuff like that. And I think there's just a lot of value in anticipating something horribly wrong. Oh, 100%. You know? I think we see that in, in, in shows like the haunting of Hill house mm-hmm. where they had its jump scares and stuff, but like, it was always like you're on your toes. I think a well-done jump scare is, like, not a terrible thing. I think no, it's, no, like, yeah. when it's, like, jump scare, and it's, like, oh, it's just a friend getting out of the closet. You yeah. know, like, it's just, like, oh, okay, cool. That's yeah. literally there for no reason. Yeah, and speaking of which, this movie, Don't Look Now, ends with a scare like that. Really? That literally puts the period on the entire movie. Wow. And is, like, one of the all-time knockout endings and genuinely horrifying. Um even compared to like the rest of the movie, which more feels like kind of a dreadful noir movie, mm-hmm. it ends with this just really horrifying scene. So don't look now. I'll have to stuff. put it on my list. Um, all right, let's move on to the 1980s. Let us. My uh, my pick for the 1980s is The Lost Boys. Yes. Yeah, this is, uh, I just love this kind of like campy fun, like doesn't take itself too seriously type yeah. of horror movie. Um, you know, if you're in the right frame of mind, it can still scare you. Like uh-huh. if you're, if it hits you at the right age, I know my little brother Zach, um, still to this day refuses to watch this movie because he saw it. Oh, dude! When he was really young with my dad, uh-huh. and just like scared the shit out of him, so he can't yeah. watch it now. Yeah. Um, dude, Kiefer Sutherland when he's like a vampire, yeah, is freaky. <laughs> he really is, and that's something that I really love about this movie is just like the practical prosthetics that they put on yes. the faces are so good, oh, so and good. I feel like. The 80s and 90s had this perfect between, like, from dusk till dawn, and a few other things had, like, mm-hmm. this perfect, like, vampire face look that yeah. they just that they got that I love so much. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I think it's also the pinnacle of just, like, men's hair in movies. Oh, dude, like, it's, I know. Like, <laughs> like, hair metal hair on every single person. There's, like, eight perms, I male know. perms I in know. that movie. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean... I, I always love a good like teenagers beating the shit out of adults. Yeah, and that's what this kind of turns into. It's almost like Home Alone with vampires yes. at the end of it. Yes, um, and I just love that so much. They got like squirt guns filled with holy water yeah. and like a bathtub filled with garlic and just they got like bandoliers with steaks on exactly. them. Exactly, <laughs> it's so fun. It's so yeah. fun. And this line from Wikipedia because I was doing a little bit of reading about it earlier is uh-huh. just hilarious. Michael begins to develop supernatural powers and asks Star for help but has sex with her shortly afterwards. It's, it's like, what? <laughs> that was, yeah, that was very 80s. That's Joel Schumacher it for did, you. It did have Rest a lot of peace. those like cool touchstones of the 80s where it was like sex for no reason. It's yeah. just like two people are trying to figure something out and then all of a sudden they look at each other and then they're like banging. Let's do it, <laughs> um, I guess. But also it had this kind of like the, the Amblin thing where it's like the people fighting the vampires are kids on bikes yeah. who have kind of... Yeah, home alone to their weaponry. Exactly. You know, they it's get, like a summertime movie. Yeah, yeah. So. And then it has that cool element of like all the kids know what's going on, but the adults are like, exactly. you're crazy. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, My favorite yeah. part is just obviously the, you're, you're eating maggots, Michael. 
Oh, uh, dude. Down yeah, dude. dude. That was, a, yeah, that was, that's a, that was I, a, I'm going to say the word iconic a lot. In no, this dude, but it is iconic. That, that is such an iconic that's, scene. Yeah. That's, that's still something that I think about whenever I eat Chinese food. Yeah. I'm like, it's maggots. And Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland is just a huge prick in this movie, so. Also, I think that was another 80s thing, was just groups of teenagers eating Chinese food out of boxes. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the to-go boxes. <laughs> you saw that a lot in movies. All right. So, actually, this is one of my zigs, not my zag. All I'm right. kind of on brand here, but my 1980 movie is The Shining. Wow. I thought you were going to pick Child's Play after that. Prelude. Nah, yeah, I, I had to go with The Shining because anytime I have an opportunity to talk about this, I just want to. Yeah, I hear you. And <clears throat> um, I think one thing that like really gets to me in horror movies is when I see something on screen that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, what is happening here? If you see someone get murdered, you're like, oh, I understand. Someone's getting yeah. stabbed. But if, you, if someone puts an image on screen that you're like, I don't even know what to make of this. I don't know if this is dangerous or not. It's what just do genuine, I do? Like genuinely shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think The Shining has like a ton of that. I think so too. Sometimes it's more subtle where you don't see it the first time, but the second time you're like, oh, what was that? And then there's stuff that's just like right in your face. Like someone in a you know mascot costume yeah. giving head to someone else in a hotel yeah. room. Like uh how they thought of that stuff, I don't understand. But, like, I know there was this big thing with Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick where, like, Stanley Kubrick basically took his book and chopped it up. And, mm-hmm. um, comp- like, with hardcore Stephen King fans, they, they, they think he, like, disemboweled the story. Um, and that's probably true. Like, yeah. Stanley Kubrick did not give a shit about any of his source material, and he was just like, I'm going to do me. Yeah. But honest, but that's I'm, – I'm kind of glad. And I'm, I'm, it sucks that it was just this iconic writer, Stephen King – because if it was some nameless writer, people probably wouldn't care. For sure. But as a as a vessel for S- Stanley Kubrick to do what he did as far as like the, again, it's kind of like a slow burn, but it's like we're just going to throw these like kind of little hints of shocking imagery your way. The old lady scares the shit out of me yeah, to still. this day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The old lady and then, of course, like the, the twins, mm-hmm. you know, down the hall. And the weird kind of um, – subliminal stuff like not not like the stuff that that documentary gets for yeah if you haven't seen the documentary room 237 it's like a documentary about all the imagery in this movie and breaks down all these conspiracy theories like there was people that thought there was hints in the shining that stanley kubrick embedded that told the public that he helped fake the moon landing for sure so there's like these deep (laughs) conspiracies about it but i'm just talking about like tiny frames of flashing corpses yeah like a frame will just flash and it'll be like a hallway full of dead bodies mm-hmm. and stuff like that and um between that and like the the music like the yeah i love the music you know like um and they the, the, when they remade a or when they made the sequel dr sleep that came out a couple of years ago they kind of like re- recycled that score yeah and they did it really well but um yeah the Shining is one is one that i hit every single year and every single time i watch it i still get creeped out you I get something it. new yeah. Um, all right, let's move into the 90s. What do you got? All right, so this was when you asked what my, like, relationship, my jumping-off point for horror. Um, when I, I, th- I believe I was in third grade, and I saw The Sixth Sense, and um, it practically ruined my life. Incredible pick. For, so I'm eight years old, I think, and I see this movie, and all of these dead people are in it, and it just frightens the shit out of me. I could not mm-hmm. sleep without like the hallway light on <clears throat> for probably six months. Yeah. I incorporated the sixth sense into my prayer. I used to do a nightly prayer when I was a mm-hmm. kid. 
And I was just like, please don't let me have a nightmare about this movie. Just <laughs> yeah. pray to God that I don't <laughs> have a nightmare about this movie. Yeah, dude. And yeah, man, it was just like, I, I don't know why a, I was allowed to watch it. I probably wasn't because yeah. like I have a niece and a nephew that are at least that same age or older mm -hmm. that like, I don't, I would imagine they're not watching anything that malicious. You know what I mean? Like it was, that's a terrifying movie for someone under the age of 10 to be watching. Dude. Yeah. And, uh, top I, three yeah. scares. You got people hanging from the nooses in the school. That one, oh, dude. that one's probably my I number did, I one. I just got this weird, I got a chill just now yeah. just thinking about that because it's like, uh, it's him. It's Bruce Willis and the kid talking. Yeah. And then he's like looking past Bruce Willis. Yeah. And then it cuts to a shot of Bruce Willis and you see them behind him. Well, and that's how <laughs> most of the ghosts are kind of revealed to you yeah. is like this, like you almost realize what you're about to see the second before you see it by yeah. just kind of like a context clue uh -huh. from Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Like <laughs> when the, the biker, there's like a bike accident that's holding them up in mm -hmm. traffic or whatever. And then the biker is just like right outside the car window. Yeah. Uh, that one scared the shit out of me. And then uh -huh. the puking uh, Misha Barton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just that image of just, you know, with her creepy Munchausen by proxy mom. Yeah. Just no way. No way, Jose. So. And the, uh, the one that messed me up specifically, because I remember I didn't see this. I didn't sit down and watch this movie until... I was probably like in late junior high because again, like I would see parts of it on TV or see someone else watching it. And I was just like, not for me, not yeah. doing it, yeah. not watching that movie. <laughs> and I think the one thing that deterred me from it was that scene where the, that, that ghost kid's like, you want to see my dad's gun? Yeah. And then he turns around and like the back of his head's blown yes. off and you're just like, Jesus Christ. That movie, man. And like, it's nuts. That, and the Haley, Haley Joel Osment performance, mm -hmm. like, Genuinely, very, very good. Incredible. <laughs> also, I didn't know this until like two years ago, but you know, shout out to um, what's the mom's name now? I can't even think of uh, her Tony name. Tony Collette. Tony Collette, oh, dude. dude. Shout out to Tony Collette. She's the best. Yeah, I love fantastic. Her. And uh, Donnie Wahlberg, of course. Yeah. No, but like I think <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Sixth Sense kind of like for a while there kind of got belittled into just its twist, which is like one of the best twists of probably in, mm -hmm. in cinema history. I, yeah. But, but, like, yeah, man, that movie is... The twist was so good, I think it ruined M. Night Shyamalan's career. That's very possible. Like, he did come out... Like, I, I love Unbreakable. Mm -hmm. I, I love Signs. Like, a lot of people have problems with Signs. I love Signs. I'm not... I, think, I don't... I haven't watched Signs in probably, mm -hmm. like, 15 years. I watched it either, I think, last year. Okay. During... Around Halloween time. I hadn't watched it in a while, and I was like, we should watch... And uh, my girlfriend hadn't seen it, so I was like, let's watch Signs. Yeah. And... um. I, I was like, CGI probably didn't age as well, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's still so good. And Mel Gibson didn't age as well either. But like, mm -hmm. but yeah. And then, but I, I felt like it, M. Night Shyamalan became obsessed with kind of topping that yeah. twist. And he He's became always the a twist, the twist guy. guy. Yeah, and it's exactly. like, some of the twists ruined the movie. Like the village was good until like the last quarter of the movie. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, wait, what's going on? And then the happening was just never good. Yeah. The, happening the just, trees. It's the trees. The opening scene of the happening is good. Yeah. And then it like literally never recovers yeah. from that. Um, so yeah, it's six cents incredible. Um, so my 90s pick uh, is The Faculty. I had that on my list and I took it oh, off. Oh, did you? Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I'm glad because it's not like the most popular. Yeah. Uh, it's on my movie. honorable mentions. So I think, I think this is a still a genuinely likable movie. And if you haven't seen the faculty and you like things like scream, which was the same screenwriter, um, and these kind of like nineties slasher movies, like the faculty is incredible. And it kind of has all those nineties things that you love. Like it has the group of, uh, it's like the breakfast club yeah. of, uh, of, characters so you have like the the different cliques of just, characters just the jaded view of society's like kind of 
robotics. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it does have that kind of, yeah, that kind of Gen X. Yeah. Like how ridiculous is high school thing. Yes. But it's like an R-rated movie, so it's like, unlike some of the like PG-13 things where it's kind of squeaky clean and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's like genuinely like kids getting bullied and um, <laughs> it's 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 pretty intense. But um, if you haven't seen The Faculty, it's uh, about basically an alien alien invasion at a high school and they kind of take this uh, invasion of the body snatchers angle with it to where uh, the kids at school start noticing that some of the teachers are acting a little weird yeah. and then they start having their own conspiracy theories and then some of them straight up start getting attacked by teachers and this small group of this, the breakfast club cast yeah. with, uh, you know, has, has some good performances like Elijah Wood. He's like mm-hmm. the nerdy kid in it. And like, I think this is Elijah Wood right before Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like this was 98 Lord of the Rings comes out in 2001. And so he probably jumped right into filming for right sure. after this. Um, and like Clea Duvall, who doesn't come up a lot, but she was like in, uh, what was that house of cards? Yeah. She um, just turned to directing, I believe. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I like Clea Duvall. Um, but so, so this like little, little band of, uh, of rapscallions yeah. start to uh, try to figure out what's going on with all their teachers. Oh yeah. And John Stewart plays one of the teachers too, which yes. is really cool. Um, but it's, it's, it's super wacky and super kind of B movie ish. And it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Like, so that's I, like his MO. Like, yeah. He's, he's all B movie. Um, but genuinely like has like some good violence in it For and sure. creepy. And there's some CGI that's, you know, whatever nineties ish, but like, this is a straight up fun movie and genuinely mm-hmm. like creepy in some points and a great use of like the physical space of a high school. Like there's a lot of running down halls, gymnasiums. Uh, there's a great use of like the retractable bleachers yeah. in a gymnasium, you know? Um, and yeah, so this movie was written by Kevin Williamson who did scream. And so it kind of has that same flavor. What was the other one that he did? Oh, I know what you did last summer. That's also on my uh, honorable mentions for, yeah. for the 90s. Right on. So Kevin yeah. Williamson just knocking it out of the park. But Good yeah, job, the Kevin. Faculty. All right, 2000, the 2000s. The 2000s. So uh, I went with Record or Rec. Oh, shit. I don't really know. Like, honestly, it's one of those annoying titles where it's like, how do I say this? Not Quarantine. No, not Quarantine. Rec. But yes, uh, it's a bit of a rabies movie, bit of a demonic possession movie. Um, you know, it's just about, it's, so it's a Spanish, Spanish movie mm-hmm. that takes place in Barcelona. Uh, there's like a news, there's like a news crew that goes on a ride along with the firefighters mm-hmm. and, uh, they end up at this apartment complex where this crazy lady is just screaming and people end up biting each other and doing some crazy shit. And then the ending, I'm not going to ruin the ending for anybody. Cause I would imagine, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen quarantine, which is the American remake that came out. The next year, so they, they must were have, hot on the heels. Yeah, they must have fast tracked it. I mean, it's found footage. There's probably a lot less, you know, logistics that go into a found footage because sure. the camera's a character. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it was early on in the found footage, so I really, yeah. I really, really love this movie. Yeah, it's and in, its sequels. Yeah. The sequels are very good as well. So did I, was that 2006? 2007, I believe, 2007? is record, record. Record, yeah, record. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that was, like, one of the first movies to do something, like, a little different with the found footage thing. Because um, it was right before Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. But it was a little bit after Blair Witch, was like, which I think was 99. Yeah. And so the I don't think, even by the time Record and Quarantine came out, it wasn't even, like, a, the found footage wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. It was just you know, avant-garde or whatever. But um, 
I think it was like the first time that they were like, okay, we're going to do something a little more intense and crazy with it and make it. And also it has this new context to where like Blair Witch Project, it's like student film. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going in to look for this thing, but this, they like dress it up as like a newscast. Exactly. So it kind of adds this like other layer of realism to it. Um, I, yeah, this movie's awesome. I love it. It's incredible. Movie. Also, it's a, an hour and 17 minutes. Ooh, you cannot beat that. Breezy. That is so nice. A That's movie a that nice, like mm. comes in, fucks shit up, and then leaves immediately yeah. is like my kind of horror movie. A nice short but dense yes. horror movie. Yeah, and I actually so it was funny. I, I I've been trying to zag on this list, trying to not pick the same things that I thought you might pick, and I because of COVID and because mm-hmm. of the whole pandemic uh, thing going on in the zeitgeist, I thought you might have picked Twenty Eight Days Later. I thought about it, but I rewatched yeah. 28 Days Later during uh, this pandemic. Me too. I didn't really love it this time. Really? It is so hard to watch. It's like filmed on DV tapes. Yeah. Every it's, shot it's, is, it's rough is looking. ugly. Yeah. Like it's just, it's hard It's not to a watch. pretty movie. Yeah. Yeah. It almost, yeah. It almost does look like you're watching like a CCTV. Yeah. Like worth yeah. it for that Killian Murphy dick though. Yeah. <laughs> is the, the flaccid coma dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man you can always point out the gems in every movie that's right um all right so uh yeah record great movie 20 days later great movie but it was funny i thought you uh, you went with you still kind of went with the pandemic yeah thing, I, but I, I went with record i, I liked did, it i had some other we'll have to go through just a few like honorable mentions at mm-hmm. the end because i have sure. a few listed uh okay so uh my 2000s film is the mist i love the mist the mist is incredible and this is another one that's kind of like an annual watch for me um, so this is a Stephen King book, which is, I think it was like, just kind of a short novella. Like it wasn't one of his longer ones. Um, and it's about a, uh, mist that kind of overtakes a town one day. Um, so it's like this thick fog that no one can see through. And the story is told from the perspective of this, this painter who's at the grocery store with his son. And, um, then suddenly, People start running into the grocery store injured and bloody and saying that there's things attacking people in the mist. And so all of these people are huddled into this grocery store apocalypse style trying to figure out what to do. And um, so it kind of has the uh, alien B-movie aspect to it. Yeah. And uh, But it also has the thing that I love, which is like the collapse of society yes. on a very small scale. Yeah. So like where if you look at like 28 uh, week, 20 days later, it's like the collapse of society on a grand scale. And this is like, what would happen to just a group of your neighbors in a, in a grocery store? And it's not pretty. It is not pretty. Especially and, yeah. when you throw like, like a religious nut into there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of like the best aspects of the movie. So there's mm-hmm. like these two horrifying like aspects to it. The creature stuff is like, there, there is like a little weird, uh, CGI yeah. aging that kind of looks phony. There, some of the monsters look bad, but some of them do look some, really yeah, good. Some of them still do look good. It just kind of depends on, on the monster because there's a bunch of them in there, but some of them are still like horrifying yeah. and it gives you the kind of like, uh, it, it's a, it's a movie that'll make you f- flinch at every tickle you feel on your leg yeah. when you're in bed at night, you know? And you, you, like there's, there's creepy spiders that shoot acid webs and, yep. um, and then it's again with the the uh, kind of infamous ending to this movie. <laughs> yeah, the ending is very very rough yeah. to this movie. Yeah, is is both horrifying and dreadful. And um, the the guy who directed this movie, Frank Darabont. I was going to ask you a question about this, so um, we'll see if I answer it. Yeah. Uh, 
So he he directed two Stephen King movies before this. Both of them were not horror movies. It was first one was Shawshank Redemption, second one was The Green Mile, um, and then he did this one. And he actually changed the ending, mm-hmm. so the ending is different in the movie than it is in the books. And when Stephen King saw the movie, he was like, "I'm pissed that I didn't think of that." Yeah, and and loved what he did, like with the update of the ending. So this is the this is one of the uh, instances of a Stephen King adaptation going well. Yes. Um, did I, did I answer your question? No, my question <laughs> my question for you is what's the better combo, Stephen King and Frank Darabont or Stephen King and Mike Flanagan? That's a great question. Yeah. So for those who don't know Mike Flanagan, he is a horror movie director who has now adapted two. Has he done two? Yeah, Stephen so King? he did Gerald's Game, Gerald's Game and, and Dr. Sleep. Yes. Um, I think... Honestly, I, I got to go with Mike Flanagan. Because I think I have to go with Mike Flanagan as well. Frank Darabont made some iconic movies, and I think Frank Darabont's interested in a different thing yeah. than Mike Flanagan is. And I think what Mike Flanagan is interested in is entirely what Stephen King is like about, like human relationships in horrifying situations. I almost wonder what it would have been like if Mike Flanagan directed it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like it would, it probably would have been incredible because it would have been. I think that anything that guy makes is is going to be good. Yeah, I'm a very big fan of Mike Flanagan. Yeah, and he also did uh, some non Stephen King related stuff, like he did Haunting of Hill House, and he did The Haunting of Bly Manor, which just came out a couple weeks ago. And then uh, uh, an independent movie that he made with his wife a few years ago called Hush, which Hush is wonderful. Is a really, really, really good movie and a great little like concept piece. Um, so yeah, The Mist. Really creepy. Love it. Let's move on to the 2010s. A, a or B. I can't choose between A or B. So you, so pick you just want me. me to randomly pick? Yeah. Okay. Let's go with B. All right. So B is The Ritual, which is a movie I did not see until just three weeks ago, but I was very taken by it. I haven't seen The Ritual. The Ritual is directed by David Bruckner, and I have seen two movies by David Bruckner mm-hmm. now. The Ritual and then a movie called The Night House, which is uh, it came out at Sundance 2020. So it has not yet been released to, to the general public, but they both have this very interesting relationship with like horror, but interior, like all of the horror within, I mean, not all of it, but a lot of the horror within, within the ritual is kind of like both in the mind imaginary wise and in the mind in reality, like it's just mm-hmm. built into the mind. Yeah. Um, it just has like some of the most, inventive scares and just like uh-huh. i just love the way he plays with set design yeah and i love i love 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 the creature design in this so, movie so what's the ritual about the ritual is about uh four friends going on a hiking trip to kind of pay uh pay pay respects to one of their fallen comrades one of their friends has died and uh they go on oh. this trip to into the forest and they take a well they take a shortcut into a forest and uh, scary stuff comes. And honestly, like, the most upsetting and scary part of this movie is the first five minutes. And it's not anything to do with, like, horror or, or you know, monsters or Satan or anything. It's just, like, a, an impossible situation. A character is put into an impossible situation and you just have to watch it happen. And huh. It is not fun. But I loved this movie. 
Interesting. So I really have to check that out. Is that something that's on streaming right now? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, so you'll oh, okay. always be on Netflix. Oh, right on. It's got uh, what's his name that says you've got red on you from Shaun of the Dead. That's also one of the Andes from Hot Fuzz. Rafe Small. Yeah, dude. He's the, I main, lo- he's the main. I love Rafe the main Small. Guy. It is very good. He's good, and he's kind of. It's funny because I, I always remember him from those Edgar Wright movies. Mm-hmm. He's a British actor, but lately he's been like appearing in uh, American movies. And he'll have, like, an American accent, and it'll yeah. always weird me it's, out. Yeah, for sure. But he's, like, really good in, like, the big short. Mm-hmm. Um, but damn, yeah. I'm I have just, to check out the ritual. Yeah, for sure. I just think that, like, I don't know. It has a very – David Bruckner, these two movies that I've seen by him, and I think Mike Flanagan, you could say this about him too, is, like, they have uh, – grief is kind of an intricate – like, grief is the integral to their, you know, mm-hmm. to their process of horror, yeah. I think. You can't make they can't make a horror movie without like exploring grief and that its relationship to to scaring people. Okay, I'm gonna definitely check that out. Before I want to know what your A movie was, but I want to give mine before just okay. in case we ran into the same one. Um, okay, so <clears throat> my uh, 2010s movie is Green Room. I love it. Was it wasn't your A? That was not okay. my A. No. Okay, so let's talk about Green Room. So. Uh, you and I saw this together. Yes. At the 2016 Sundance Film Festival. I think so. I think it was. Um, and it was uh, the f- during the like midnight selection, mm-hmm. the first screening uh, in Utah. And we saw it at the Salt Lake City Library. And if you've been there, it's not a very big library. No. It's kind of packed in. Um, and I remember, like, first of all, I remember Jeremy Saunier, the director, giving his little talk beforehand. And I remember him in that saying, uh, I just got off a flight. Like, this is my first appearance and my first screening. And I just rushed over here from the airport and I'm feeling a little tired and queasy. And I hope after you watch this movie, you'll feel a little tired and queasy. I think and it probably was achieved. I don't I don't think people realized what they were in for yeah. when this movie was about to play. <laughs> and I 100%. don't know if you remember the little old lady that was sitting next yeah. to us. That, that poor woman. Still to this day, like this screening, I've never been in a, in a horror movie screening at least that's had this much of a reaction from people. Like there were people screaming. There were different moments where you could not hear a single person talk or breathe. And nobody, like there was like, <laughs> like even moments where people were just going, Oh no. Like they're just like, Oh God. Yeah. Just an agony during this movie. And, uh, and I, it's, it's been just a favorite of mine ever since we saw it. So green room, um, is about a, a punk rock band who's touring just kind of like a little, little four piece punk rock band that's stuffed into a van kind of touring around the Pacific Northwest and when some plans fall through, they get put on this show out in basically this warehouse in the middle of the woods in I, what I'm thinking is like Oregon. I think it is Oregon. Yeah. <clears throat> and when they get there, they realize that the the bar that they're playing at is like a Nazi bar, like a skinhead neo-Nazi bar. And they don't really think anything of it. They're like, we're going to play the show and stuff. <clears throat> and uh, then as they're leaving, they go into the green room and witness not the murder of someone, but find the body of someone who had been murdered. The aftermath of the murder. The af- they, they accidentally stumble upon the aftermath of a murder. And um, this forces all four members of the band to be locked in to the green room uh, while Nazis basically gather their forces and surround them on the outside. And so it's kind of got this siege thing where it's like you're surrounded and all these people want to murder you. 
and it's you four versus a bunch of other people and they have guns and knives and yep. horrifying things. Um, and it's kind of like Alfred Hitchcock and I want to say John Carpenter, but I feel like something has to be said about the gore that's in this movie. True. Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I guess so. But like, it is, it, it, it is like this great, I love, I love a, a, when, when a, 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 an architectural structure plays kind of a character in a movie. Yeah. And by the time they get stuck in this green room in this venue, you already kind of know the whole layout of the venue. Cause you mm-hmm. watch them load into it and walk around it and stuff like that. Um, and, um, and once it takes off, like the when when the when the first bit of intensity hits, which isn't long into the movie, no, it's another movie that moves really quick and is really dense with a lot of horrifying stuff. Um, once it starts, like it does not let up. It doesn't. And even at the end, when you know whoever's left at the end of this movie is taking their relaxed breath, you still feel like. There's something yep. bad's going to happen. And um, it's just got to like these amazing, amazing performances. Like, I mean, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Who plays a, a neo-Nazi. Completely off type. Off, Completely off type. Playing a, a kind of a backwards neo-Nazi is just like genuinely horrifying. Um, Anton Yelchin, the late Anton Yelchin, one of his last performances, I think, yeah. before he passed away. Um, his incredible in it. Um, and then kind of like these like small, young kind of character actors like Joe Cole, who plays the drummer, um, who's kind of been in some like Netflix stuff. I think he was in Peaky Blinders. Yeah. He's a British actor. Um, he was really, he's really good in it. Um, and then uh, who, who I can't remember her name. The the girl from Arrested Development. Maybe. Maybe. No, yeah, I don't remember Arrested, her real name. Aliyah Shawkat. I just it. remembered it. Yeah. There you go. Um, and yeah. She's in it too. But like. Yeah, I think and the poots, Imogen Poots is Imogen Poots. Yeah, how are you? Oh, man, Imogen Poots is incredible <laughs> in this movie. I, I actually watched this a couple of days ago, uh, starting at like probably one thirty. Yeah, and I was like, I'm, "Why am I turning this on right now? I'm not going to be able to fall asleep." And I just watched the whole thing. I was like, "I have to." Um, but yeah, I think um, I think Jeremy Saulnier just kind of speaking to his direct directing style and the way he kind of crafts his movies is like. I really appreciate and I'm also horrified in the way he portrays death. And when he kills someone in a movie, it's really awkward. Yeah. And it's not glamorized and it's not, even if it's not incredibly gory and some of the stuff that he shows is pretty gory, but, um, he, when he, when he shows someone die, it seems realistic because it's it's almost impersonal. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it feels almost impersonal and, a lot of the times you don't expect it or just the way that it happens is kind of like just um, fumbly Mm -hmm. and it it adds this kind of weird tragedy to it. And I think, I think that's something that he's picked up from like Martin Scorsese to where like in a lot of kills in his movie, they become, they're like unexpected or even just like kind of like, like put put aside. It's like kind of just a side thing to the whole story. And they can, they they, they seem kind of um, awkward. I just remember like, in his, his the movie that he did after this hold the dark is just like someone getting shot and the moment before they get shot they go no wait and yeah. like just stuff like that where it's like these these really uh creepy portrayals of, of like he it seems like he respects 
the fact that he's killing people. Like he's like, this isn't something that should be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like there, you get someone's getting their head chopped off, which is kind of the attitude with a lot of horror movies. Like you're genuinely like kind of grief stricken when you see someone die in his movie. So Green Room had a huge effect on me. I love it, and it's on Netflix right now. So check it out. And I will say about Green Room is it has one of the most I feel like the most accurate portrayals of just like how hardcore and punk rock music feels. Yeah. to be a part of and play. It's a oh, very fun, yeah. beautiful scene. No, and honestly, up until the the movie the movie hits kind of its horror edge, it's like a beautiful movie. Yeah, and very it, green. I and mean, without the, I mean, no pun intended with green room. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. The nature, the of the, the surroundings that they're in are beautiful. But like even yeah, the portrayal of kind of like um, DIY punk music mm-hmm. and the appreciation of punk music and stuff like that and. Um, even when the band plays at this Nazi bar, there's this awesome scene where they uh, they 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 kind of it kind of clicks with them that they're in a Nazi bar. They see all these skinheads and they see, you know, swastika tattoos yeah. and things like that. And they're they're little shits. Yeah. And so they decide to play Nazi punks fuck off by the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. And so they play that at the very beginning just to like rattle them. Like they don't even care. They're just like we're gonna rattle their bones. He must have been so excited when he realized he put a punk band in a Nazi bar. Like yeah. he's like, oh hell yeah, I get to put that song in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 then and then what, what's kind of funny is like when they're playing this Nazi punks fuck off song, all the Nazis in the crowd are throwing bottles at them and yeah. they're spitting at them and they don't even care. They just play through the whole song with this attitude, and then afterward. The song finishes and they're like, thank you. That was a cover. And then they go into like their actual set list. Mm -hmm. And then when they start playing, the movie goes into this slow motion thing where it shows them jumping around and dancing. And the whole crowd, even the Nazis who were spitting at him a second ago, they all fall into this trance and start jumping around and moving and nobody cares. And for this brief fleeting moment, all beefs are kind of set aside in Mm -hmm. the name of energy and motion and music. And it's like aggression aggression yeah and it's and it's re- it really is beautiful it's like the uh, like something that beautiful doesn't belong in something so horrific no. <laughs> but that's what makes a great movie so what was your i have to ask what your your a movie was on the last pick oh it was happy death day okay so this yeah. is something this is something that i'm behind on i love happy death day i mean i yeah. love any like anything that uses the kind of the groundhog day everyday repeating conceit like i just loved that i love that concept so much of just you yeah know, Palm Springs, Russian Doll, uh-huh. all these things are just so fun, you know, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. I've heard but you talk about Happy Death Day, and you said that the sequel is even pretty good, wasn't it? The sequel is so, it's just really, really fun, because they kind of, like, just take the same premise, and yeah. you're like, all right, how do they do this again? And it's just like, oh, they do it in a very fun way. Okay, so but, they pulled it off. But yeah, do you want to do some honorable mentions really quick before sure. you get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. So for the 70s, I'll just list the ones that I had for the 70s. Okay. It's Suspiria, which is just oh, like. So good. The Instagram photo caption aesthetic, you know? Like oh, it's yeah. Just like, that's what it is. <laughs> it really is. Uh, the Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Alien. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what did you have for your 70s? So I think my, before I picked Don't Look Now, that was my zag move. And, and one that I was like, I, I think more people need to know about this movie. But I honestly wanted to go with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because yeah. that first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, before it got kind of... Um, schlocky. Yeah, it kind of got yeah. more schlocky. Like, this was kind of like a movie like Record where it felt real. Yeah. You felt like you were watching like a documentary about people getting murdered. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, it's like, it's not a movie that's, I mean, it's gory in its suggestion, but it's not full frontal gory. Yeah. 
but still like one of the mo- things that makes me cringe more than anything is like that, that woman getting hung on the he- meat hook and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then just like the first time you see Leatherface, like it's shocking. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. I remember I didn't see, I mean, and this is true for most like horror experiences that I had, but like, I never saw the original or the first one. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I saw like bride of Chucky first and I saw yeah. like the new Texas chainsaw massacre with Jessica Biel first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so like, when I finally did actually see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was like, oh, okay, this is legit. Yeah. Um, for the 80s, I had Chucky or Child's Play. Mm-hmm. Um, the Thing, Fright Night, obviously The Shining, uh, and then An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I think my other uh, – American Werewolf in London was definitely one of the ones that crossed my mind. And then uh, this movie that – I remember my dad had, like, on a taped VHS. Yeah. Um that I hadn't like thought of for so long, but I watched it all the time when I was a kid. It was called Night of, Night of the Comet. Mm. Have you heard of it? I've never heard of it. I think it like is a legit B movie, um, and it's about it's basically it's a very eighties movie. So, um, basically, the main character is like a Valley Girl cheer, cheerleader in California, mm-hmm. and I I haven't. And the reason why I didn't put it on my list is because I hadn't seen it in a minute. But um, she she is dating this boy from the movie theater and they end up having sex in the projector booth. And overnight a comet hits and basically vaporizes anyone who's exposed to it. And the people that have some protection are turned into these like half human mutants and her and her boyfriend are protected because of like the steel box of the projection room. And then she finds that her younger sister, who's like another Valley girl kind of cheerleader, um, is also alive. And so they team up and they start finding other survivors and it's like kind of like fighting mutants through like shopping malls and stuff like that. Wow. It's very eighties, but really Does, it sounds very eighties. Yeah. And, and it was, it had a huge influence on uh, Buffy, the vampire slayer, kind oh, okay. of the Valley girl cool. ass kicker type thing. So speaking of Buffy, the vampire slayer, that is uh, one of my nineties yeah. honorable mentions along with scream, uh, the faculty and yeah. I know what you did last summer. Scream also incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's always at the top of like most lists. So I like kind of yeah. Have to zig, but yeah, and I think screen. that that was kind of the point here is like I didn't want to just I don't I didn't we didn't want to come in and just be like Halloween, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, uh, you know, like and yeah. just go down the list. Uh, yeah. We wanted to have a little bit of character and and yeah, give, give people suggestions that they might not have had before. Yeah, like Freddy versus Jason, which is one of my <laughs> one of my honorable mentions from the two thousands. I yeah I um so two thousand three is when where my uh or the 2000s is where my Final Destination obsession becomes. Yeah, I thought yeah. I was I was wondering if you were going to put Final Destination on there. Yeah, I in I think in another time I would have I love I, those movies I too. I think at this point I I just like The Mist is Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I love it more, but like Final Destination when I was a kid and I was like way into horror movies, I le- I legit like re- like read Final Destination fan fiction. Really? Yeah, and like books. That's amazing. And it was essentially cuz like the Final Destination is like some people call it like a Rube Goldberg horror mm-hmm. movie where it's like, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, yeah, these freak accidents are happening to these people. And so like the fan fiction would just be a platform to make up other freak True. accidents. And, um, and so that's like, yeah, I was really into, and I remember fine. Like so that was the first time that I searched for leak footage for a movie was final oh. destination three. Okay. Like, I was like, I have to see yeah. leaked footage. And so the yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, All right. She's like the only <laughs> like good part of that whole movie where yeah. it's like, dude, no one's even trying in this movie, yeah. but she's like legit trying to make a career for herself. So she's like giving everything. She like does not belong in that movie. She's so good. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and then for my final honorable mentions for the 2010s, I saw The Devil, fun little Korean revenge movie. Uh, very, very brutal. Um, Midsommar, obviously, and got got May Queen on my water bottle. Oops. And uh, Cabin in the Woods. I don't think I, – I, I, I didn't even consider Midsommar because it's not a horror movie. It's a fantasy movie. No, it's a it's a it's a it's a tragic romance. There you go. That's fair. That's, <laughs> I, so I, is Freddy versus Jason. Honestly, I've I've written pages of essay material on Midsommar that will probably never see the light of day. <laughs> that's buried in my Google Docs about how it's like the more effective version of Marriage Story. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and it's like talking about a lot of the same things, but in a actually a more productive way by setting it in this like teenage horror setting. Yeah. I, I'm like obsessed with Midsommar. Yeah, that's a great movie. It's, in, it's incredible. Um, and then, yeah, I saw the devil too. Like, it's just one of those movies that it's like, you kind of have to take a shower after you watch it. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, like the point, I think I remember reading an interview back when that movie came out. I think it came out in 2010. Uh, it's by Kim Ji Woon. Um, and he just makes these incredibly like on point genre takedowns almost. Mm -hmm. So like this was almost meant to be like a takedown of the revenge genre, but it's like instead is just one of uh, the better additions to it. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, yeah. Cause like he has a movie called the good, the bad and the weird, which is kind of like a Western sort of like, yeah. and I wouldn't even, I don't even know if takedown is the right word, but like he's kind of like making a joke of all of these types of movies yeah. and, uh, not this one. This one seems, it's very serious. No, yeah, like, yeah. So. <laughs> and, uh, I was going to say too, as far as 2010s, um, I completely, I always forget about this movie, but I remember when we watched it, cause we saw this, I think at the tower, um, like every time I think about it, like, I got to watch that again. And it's a the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah, exactly. You know what I was talking about. I knew what you were talking about. The autopsy of Jane, of Jane Doe is incredible. Yeah. That's a fun, that's a fun movie. It's yeah. like almost like a bottle episode movie. Yeah. 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 It's, it's it all just kind of takes place in the one location. Yeah. It's a, that's it a good one. Takes place in a morgue and it's like a father son mortician duo which yeah, is a great gross. character work um <laughs> basically do it does an autopsy on a apparently ancient body that's perfectly preserved yeah and as they are dissecting this woman <laughs> they're finding clues as to what's where she came from and stuff and then really horrifying things start happening yeah. inside the morgue and it's just it's awesome but it's a great one all right so there's uh 50 years of horror movies i think we went through so many um, yeah i think this was 50 thought. years of podcasting too yeah for sure <laughs> So hopefully uh, you have some suggestions if any of those you want to check out. We also would love to, if you know you see one of those, add us. Tell us uh, what you thought about it. Um, and uh, everyone have a cool, safe Halloween. I don't know if anyone's doing anything. Are you doing anything for Halloween? I'm not going to do anything, no. no. Probably watch ho horror movies. Actually. Unless you're burnt out. <laughs> Annie Loader bought us some... Uh some Portillo's hot dogs. Oh, nice. Getting shipped in for <laughs> so Halloween. You can eat so. hot dogs for Halloween. Yeah. Hot dogs for ha Halloweeners. Halloweeners. I love it. That's a great tradition. All right. Uh, so uh, tune in next week. We'll be back next Wednesday. And uh, make sure you follow us at Holy Hive Utah on Twitter um, and Instagram as we continue to finalize the website and roll out some content that we're really excited about in November. Um, and we'll see you next week. Happy Halloween. See ya.